The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. It's Thursday, September 26, 2019. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. When the President of the United States offers his meandering, addled, untruthful defense of his misbehavior, the news media has traditionally said, well, it might be deceitful, confusing, propagandistic lies, but it is from the President of the United States. But not yesterday. NBC turned it off, explaining... Uh, We hate to do this, really, but the President isn't telling the truth. These allegations against Joe Biden and Hunter Biden that he's repeating have been investigated by the Ukrainians, none other than the Wall Street Journal included in their report on Friday, that the Ukrainians view this issue as having been investigated and adjudicated. And what's amazing is that what Trump appears to be trying to do is to turn his own impeachment into a big deflection. That is what he was doing. Yet, by not covering the lies and deceit and strange, implausible utterances of the president, NBC was denying their viewers the fact that the president is lying and deceitful and implausible. Apparently, they think the president, well, this president specifically, should be covered something like a car chase or a hostage standoff. You put on a seven or 14 second delay, and this way you could bail out the moment before it gets too gruesome. But like most high-speed car chases on TV, there is another alternative. You ready? Don't feel compelled to go live at all. But you should be paying attention because he can and will say something strange, which might either be newsworthy or just yet another insight into that oatmeal brain of his. So yesterday at the United Nations, and I went and watched the whole thing, he gave a defense, if you want to call it that, gigantic lie, if you want to call it that, of his behavior during the whole Ukraine affair. And at one point, the woebegone president said this. So many leaders came up to me today and they said, sir, what you go through, no president has ever gone through. And it's so bad for your country. Okay. Press conference, UN. At other times in the press conference, talking about meetings he had with heads of state. So when he said leaders, I assumed he meant world leaders. (laughs) Though why would a world leader call another president, sir? That doesn't scan. Anyway, it's maybe because they weren't world leaders. Maybe the kind of leaders he had in mind were Talk radio leaders. But it's so bad for our country. Uh, People have said Rush Limbaugh, great man. Sean Hannity said it. A lot of people have said it. Mark Levin. And because the networks bailed out, we miss that. Donald Trump's endorsement by Mark Levin. Who knows what inculpatory or inane thing he will admit to next. So I've got to ask, are the networks... By playing his speeches, giving him a platform, or is it more of a scaffold? On the show today, it is a full analysis of the director of the DNI's appearance before Congress. It was notable. There was a tone of how dare you. There was an answer of, I was just doing what I thought was right. And I do think when this whole thing plays out over the next months or years, today will be the kind of day that moved the ball but won't be remembered. But I want to get into some of the nitty gritty in fine detail, and that'll be on the spiel. But first, you probably saw or at least heard news of Greta Thunberg, the Swedish girl who spoke at the United Nations. Fire, much like the Amazon. She was slash and burn, 
like the form of agriculture currently consuming Borneo and Sumatra. I find Greta compelling. My son told me that during the school walkout, he went and saw Greta. I said, Greta, first name basis? He said, yeah, you know, Greta. I think our communication style tells us something about the moment we're in. I'm just not exactly sure what. So I asked on Katie Letterer, who has written about Greta Thunberg and her critics for the journal N Plus One. And Katie joins me next. Greta Thunberg, who is the 16-year-old Swedish child who spoke to the UN, spoke is nice. She kind of yelled at the UN. But you know what? They deserved it, if you think of the UN as the collective will of the nations and leaders of the world. On the show in the past, I have likened her to an Old Testament prophet. She's actually two strains of the Bible. She's both Jeremiah and the Children's Crusade. I've been thinking a lot about her, so has everyone. That's the extent that she's arrested the conversation. And joining me now is Katie Letterer, who writes about the environment and other issues as a columnist for N Plus One. But Katie sits at these great cross currents of literature and environmentalism and parenting. And she taught a course at Columbia about the literature of environmentalism. And she's written about Greta. Thanks for coming in, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. Have you, have, had you seen Greta talk in that way before? Because I know you've been following her uh, career meteoric rise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was definitely the most angry I've seen her. I, I was trying to figure that out because um, when I watched the speech initially, I was a little bit shocked. I am a fan of her delivery. Mm-hmm. It was a little intense, but I have to say I kept watching the speeches that followed. And as I said on on Twitter, she kind of poured acid on those speeches. and Much like uh, an industrial polluter might well, to a beautiful she, she stream. Did, it, did, it did what I think she wanted it to do. So I kind of came around. So is that, I mean, you can't look away. There's something about this compelling, extremely well-spoken, extremely passionate girl saying these things, embodying the cost of our environmental decline. Are there any risks? I mean, I've been reading some people. I don't know if they are of goodwill, but they think they're making fair points, saying if she becomes the face of the movement, the movement could be, in fact, harming itself. She's so scorched earth. I feel like what Greta Thunberg kind of gets at is that we have been, for 30 years, intelligent people have been discussing, I mean, their entire think tanks around how to communicate mm-hmm. about climate change, right? And there's going to be an official or a group using every mode. So, you know, Extinction Rebellion is more doing maybe what she, you know, that tone that she has. But you have like NRDC doing a more friendly tone. Yes. And when None I, when of it's I, worked. And when I spoke to Al Gore, he said, you know, the key is you got to give people hope. That's how that's yes. how his the second iteration of uh, the documentary ends. It's all about hope. And there's a lot of research and scholarship that yes. says hope's really important. Without hope, you're not going to get change. And then she says in the speech, I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? Well, so I, I feel like the... I don't want to say charm, that's not quite the right word, but the effectiveness of, of her. One, whatever's been done has not worked for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's like a starting point. She's trying whatever she's trying. She's trying what she's comfortable with. You know, she went out there in front of Swedish parliament on her own and and held her sign and communicated the way she communicates for whatever reason, right, that has incredibly ignited 
So, you know, it's sort of a chicken egg thing. Yes. Maybe for some people, hope is the way. Maybe for some people, pessimism is the way. Mm -hmm. Maybe for some people, like honesty or what they see as honesty is the way. But for whatever reason, her way, which I feel like she just started with her way, galvanized a very large group of people. Did you see the uh, piece of video that went viral of her standing there in the UN and then Donald Trump walks by? My theory is this is entirely a Rorschach test because she had this stern look on her face and then through camera moves, so let's examine Mm -hmm. the the syntax of that video moment. Through camera moves, then we see Trump. But again, I think she looks like that all the time. And if anyone in the world had walked in the frame, she'd still look like that. It's interesting. I was a little unsure how to feel about that viral clip because I think um, this is not hopefully a political comment per se, but it seems like our president, you know, enjoys the spotlight. Mm -hmm. um, It it felt a little like he was getting in on that a little bit. I'm sure I assume he didn't do that on purpose, but um, our president used to be on a reality TV show. It concerns me when the framing is a feud, when he's in a feud. Right, right. So, you know, obviously it gave her more exposure, but I was a little uneasy. I think that if you cut that video with different kinds of music, like if you put the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme to to it, Mm -hmm. it would mean something. And if you put the Exorcist theme to it, it would mean something else. Yeah. It was. A, I wasn't. I'm still not sure. We'll see. Yeah. Back to uh, yes. the idea of hope. Kate Mann, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, who is a writer and philosopher at Cornell, wrote about the the how dare how dare you ask us for hope. She said, "Giving hope, whatever the grim truth of the matter, is a feminine coded pseudo obligation that is far too seldom questioned." Good for Greta Thunberg, as usual, for resisting it. And my comment was, is she resisting it, or does do social niceties just not occur to her? That I think. Well, it may I be mean, a, I'd say the latter. Yeah. Um, she's welcome to interpret that, you know, under her rubric, mm-hmm. or and any of us. But yeah, I don't think she's... I mean, she might be. I, I don't know, you know, who am I to say? But, you know, I definitely... I don't necessarily push back, maybe except for the viral clip with the feud <laughs> with President Trump. She's out there in the public sphere. So if people want to read things into her or sort of platform her, fine. Personally, I'm just like, just don't personalize it in a way that's toxic right. or abusive. Right. You know, and in good faith. I agree with that. And not only in this instance, but as a guiding principle for all interactions. Those yeah, three things you said. I think so. Yeah. And also, I do think that there is something to her appeal that is, if you want to interpret it this way, you can. If you don't, you can't. She, she is not an empty vessel because she has a lot of facts and she presents well, but she does offer people the opportunity to do that because the clarity of the message. There's not a lot of other things to get caught up in. Maybe with AOC there is. You know, she's a politician. Mm-hmm. She's got to mm-hmm. be right. working a bunch of different angles. So Greta is this very clear voice who says this very clear thing and doesn't really go outside that clear thing. Like you said, she doesn't even endorse right. plans. She doesn't. she doesn't endorse politicians. So she becomes a little bit of a Rorschach. Mm-hmm test or something that you could put your own interpretations into. And it's useful, I think, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think in the activist community, the advocacy community, the media community, particularly, you know, in this era, a lot depends on your theory of change. How how do you think society changes, right? 
And again, I think she's a catalyst for a certain kind of change or a certain group of people. And what I appreciate about her as maybe a little bit of a wonkish climate person is that message. Uh, You know, she says, The main solution, however, is so simple that even a small child can understand it. We have to stop the emissions of greenhouse gases. She just sort of gets to the basics over and over. Very basic. Obviously, also her presentation is very basic. So whoever she galvanizes, you know, Godspeed. And I don't know how much there's a counter galvanization. I don't know how much she galvanizes people who don't want to reduce emissions, Mm -hmm. who have some vested interest in the status quo that might not be so great um, long term. I don't know. So there's always that consideration. What do you think the most compelling theory of change is? Oh, that's, I mean, the jury is out. And I get very confused, to be honest. I look like the uh, Green New Deal is confused. Yeah, what's very confusing to me. I read um, this Paul Krugman op-ed, and he called it a Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. sort of talking about how politically it, you know, to me, it's sort of a heart, the Green New Deal, right? Again, it's salient for a certain group of people. It uses the keywords that rile them up. It has proposals that certain people are really into, and it works for them. Again, I always wonder, does that create a counter effect, a counter galvanization? Personally, you know, if I were, I would not be (laughs) probably a good politician because I don't, I'm not so good at that kind of Christmas tree theory of change that's kind of this big speech, you know, exciting slogans. And again, not to denigrate for some people that really works for some people, that's their skill and talent. So I don't know, I get very, I, I, I think about it a lot. I don't know what really works. Sometimes it might just be something really horrible, like a war. <laughs> yeah. Horrible environmental degradation. Yeah. I mean, personally, I've looked at some of the proposals either in or um, associated with the Green New Deal. And this is just my training as a journalist and the way I navigate the world. I say that's uh, none of the experts say that's going to be possible. And so it makes me a little suspicious and resentful of the whole thing. But, you know, some people would say uh, it's an Overton window. It opens up the conversation. Um, I I personally reject that theory of change. The question is, does does that theory of change work for other people? People who most advocate for the Overton window are the people who really most often want the most uh, extreme policies, right? It happens mm-hmm. to fit in exactly with what they want, right? They're, so then they have the fallback plan. Look, I want us to totally and 100% uh, eliminate, go to, go to net zero emissions by 2030. But the Green New Deal doesn't have that level of realism, mm-hmm, so it makes mm-hmm. me question it. Someone who's, who buys into the Overton window theory of change will say, well, what's the problem? The worst case scenario is we try to do it and almost get there. I don't know. I think that it calls into question their A, credibility, and B, I worry that it might, that might turn people off who would otherwise be on board. Mm. And then a lot of the other programs, which I understand their point. If we don't have, if if, if green jobs aren't at good wages, it's not going to work as well as if they are. Mm -hmm. And yet I say, okay, so instead of one big ask on the environment, now you're asking for a big ask on the environment and for unions and for housing. It gets harder to pass. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, you know, obviously, geniuses think about this all day long. Like Nobel Disagree, Prize yeah. <laughs> winners think about this all day long. You know, and I feel like I'll try to look at it with Greta Thunberg as a lens. You know, I'll look at some of these theories to try to figure out my interpretation of what she's doing. But even that's very personal. So, 
Katie Letterer writes about climate and other things for N Plus One. She writes for the New York Times. She writes for herself. She writes for humanity. Katie, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much. Now the spiel. Have you ever been whistleblown? I haven't, but I can imagine it's uncomfortable. It's not only a complaint or a critique, it's a secret complaint and a secret complaint where the complainer has many protections of law. For even a patient calm person to be secretly complained about by a person with protections of law must be very frustrating. Our president is no calm person. He wakes up frustrated. He works himself into a lather over SNL sketches. For our president, the term fits of peak implies that he ever has sustained periods of non-peak. This guy is constantly at peak peak. This is why Donald Trump said of the whistleblower in a private meeting with donors, as reported by the LA Times, quote, I want to know who's the person, who's the person who gave the whistleblower the information, because that's close to a spy. He continued, you know what we used to do in the old days when we were smart, right? The spies and treason, we used to handle it a little differently than we do now. Okay, so that's perhaps an extreme version of frustration, strongly implying that you would like to kill your critics. It really does make you wonder, maybe there's something to the idea that he is a two-bit Mafia Don, although it's a little unfair to Mafia Dons, because Mafia Dons follow the code of Omerta, also, Mafia Dons usually make money off their gambling operations. Additionally, would a Don hire, not a wartime consigliere or a peacetime consigliere, but Rudy Giuliani, sort of an airtime consigliere? Rudy Giuliani railed to an Atlantic reporter today, quote, It is impossible that the whistleblower is a hero and I'm not, and I will be the hero. These morons, when this is over, I will be the hero. He went on, I'm not acting as a lawyer. I'm acting as someone who has devoted most of his life to straightening out government. Anything I did should be praised. The questioning by the House Intelligence Committee of Acting Director of National Intelligence, Joe McGuire, wasn't quite so intense as that Giuliani quote. But many of the Democratic members of the committee did treat McGuire as, at best, a foot dragger, at worst, an accomplice or lackey, and someone who got in the way of the swift and regular process of informing Congress without first having the Attorney General and the Intelligence Community Inspector General sign off. McGuire struck me as an honest civil servant who tried to do what he thought was right, which is why tonally I thought Republican Representative Chris Stewart raised a fair point. Okay, and I will say to my colleagues sitting here, I think you're nuts. If you think you're going to convince the American people that your cause is just by attacking this man and by impugning his character when it's clear that he felt there's a a discrepancy, a potential deficiency in the law, he was trying to do the right thing. He felt compelled by the law to do exactly what he did. And yet the entire tone here is that somehow you're a political stooge who has done nothing but try to protect the president. I just think that's nuts. However, I do have to say, on substance, the chairman of the Intel Committee, Adam Schiff, was certainly right. No one has accused you of being a political stooge or dishonorable. No one has said so. No one has suggested that. You've accused him of breaking the law, Mr. Chairman. But it is 
certainly our strong view, and we would hope it would be shared by the minority, that when the Congress says that something shall be done, it shall be done. And when that involves the wrongdoing of the President, it is not an exception to the requirement of the statute. And the fact that this whistleblower has been left twisting in the wind now for weeks, uh, has been attacked by the President, should concern all of us, Democrats and Republicans. The acting inspector general was mostly forthright. He did say a few things that were off. One was about how new he was to the job just days in when the whistleblower complaint was filed. I am the acting DNI, and I was still using Garmin to get to work. Garmin? The head of intelligence needs Garmin? Maybe it's because it's more secure than Google, but come on, Garmin? He also struck an aggressively noncommittal stance on whether the whistleblower complaint was true. Credible? Yes. But credible doesn't necessarily mean the same is true, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's false. Sometimes McGuire took the neither confirm nor deny thing a little too far, as when Representative Mike Quigley, Democrat of Illinois, questioned him about Rudy Giuliani, hero in the eyes of Rudy Giuliani. Congressman Quigley, I, I, I'm neither aware or unaware whether or not uh, uh, Mr. Giuliani has a security clearance. That would mean you are unaware. If you are neither aware nor unaware, that means you're unaware. That's how unawareness works. And we are all, in a way, unaware. In these divided times, what the hell is Rudy thinking? What is he doing? That is the question that unites us all. We also know one thing. I think we do. You ready? This is, this is an actual, I'm going to say it's in the realm of fact, or at least in the realm of extremely credible reporting, backed up by our own experience here at Slate, the whistleblower is a man. The Times reports he is a CIA operative. When lawyers for the whistleblower talk to my colleague Dahlia Lithwick, they routinely use the pronoun him, him, he, and then every dozen or so references would catch themselves and say, or her. This sort of thing went on a lot in today's hearing. And you don't know his political affiliation, obviously. I do not. I do not know this individual. Or her political affiliation. Have you given direction to this whistleblower that he can, in fact, or he or she can, in fact, come... The blower says that he spoke or she spoke to about... A Whether it's this president or any president, do you believe it is okay for the president of the United States to pressure a foreign country into helping him or her win an election? Okay. Whether he or she wins an election, so far it's only been a him. If we get to a her, that's the president who's won an election, it will mean that the current guy, that his efforts didn't work. Of course, McGuire's use of him or her, he or she, might have been uh, motivated by something other than commitment to secrecy. Here he is addressing Rep. Jackie, short for Jacqueline Spear. At any point during this process, did you personally threaten to resign if the complaint was not provided to the committee? No, Congressman, I, I, I did not. And I know that that story has appeared quite a bit. And I issued a statement yesterday. All right, thank you. Um, when you read the complaint, were you shocked at all by what you read? Congressman, Congresswoman, excuse me. Um, as I said, I had a life experience, a lot of life experience. I joined the Navy. I, but, I understand your record. Could you just well, what answer I mean is, it? I, I, realized the, I realized full well, full and well, the importance of the allegation. And I also have to tell you, Congressman, Congresswoman, when I saw that, I anticipated having to sit in front of some committee sometime to discuss it. Even the president, in his rantings that were reported by the LA Times, said this. Basically, that person never saw the report, never saw the call. 
he never saw the call, heard something, and decided that he or she or whoever the hell they saw, they're almost a spy. Well, let's just say this. If nothing else, this incident forces Trump into the wokeism of the ungendered pronoun. They really are getting to him. And that's it for today's show. Daniel Schrader produced the gist. He's been working here over three years, but he still has to make his way in using a weather vane and a topographical map written by an 1870s gold prospector. Christina DeJosa also produces the gist. She is celebrating her one week anniversary. She is still making it into work by breadcrumbing it, but that will end soon. The gist, your North Star for nightly news analysis and Dino Cicerelli content. Umpru de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening. <laughs>